Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Hosea chapter 14. We will begin our reading in verse 1. Hosea chapter 14. And we will read all nine verses of this chapter. Hosea is a contemporary of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing to the kingdom in the south. Hosea is writing to the kingdom in the north. And so his book is interesting to say the least. We'll talk about it in a moment. But I surely thank the Lord for chapter 14. Things weren't going to end well had it not been for this chapter. Return, he says, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. We want to worship you, God, but we can't. We want to lift praises to you. We want to join in when the praise team is singing and when others are raising their hands and voices to you, Lord, but we can't. We, we just, this just sin in our heart and, and there's a brokenness there, God, between us and you and until it's mended, God, we can't, we can't bring you the fruit of our lips. Assyria, that was the greatest power in the world at the time. Assyria will not save us, God. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. And I will heal their apostasy, God says, and I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them, and I will be as the dew to Israel, and he will blossom like the lily. And he will take root in the cedars, or like the cedars of Lebanon. And his shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. And those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine, and his renown will be to the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, another name for Israel, the northern tribes, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you, I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. 
We have been hearing quite a bit about revival lately, and it's beginning to break out, it seems, in quite a few different places, especially in Kentucky and some other locations as well. And I don't know of anything that we uh, could possibly need more right now than real spiritual awakening, a pouring out of the Spirit of God, a pouring out of the uh, sense of His presence in our churches. And, and so today I want us to take a look at just what that could look like, and especially around the question as to why we need revival. What, what is all of that? About. I grew up in a time, unfortunately, when revival was basically a series of meetings. We would start on Monday and end on Friday. I'm told by those older ones that, oh, you don't know anything, we would start on Monday and end on Monday or Sunday. We'd go all week. And then there were some older than them that would say, well, you don't know anything because we would come in the mornings and we would come in the evenings as well. And I just knew somebody was going to chime in with, well, and we would go all day. I I don't know how all of that makes for revival. I I know that God can be a part of all of that, but I don't want us to think of it as a series of meetings. I don't want us to think of it as, man, we need to put up some posters and we need to call brother what's his name in to come and preach for us several nights and have some special guests and and all of that and and I want us to understand what it really means for God to revive his people I first of all would say this to you Hosea is an interesting book it is unique to any other book in the Bible especially the prophets he is one of the minor prophets but his life was so intertwined in the prophecy that he gave. As a matter of fact, God says, basically, you're not just going to preach these words, you're going to live these words. You're going to experience these words. So one of the first things he does to him in the first chapter is he tells him, I want you to marry a harlot. And not just any harlot, I want you to marry one named Gomer. And she's going to have some children for you. And she does. The first son that she has for Hosea, and she's so faithless to him, unfaithful all the time, but she has a son for him. God says, name him Jezreel. Because as you preach to the northern kingdom, I want them to remember that Yetzreel in the Hebrew means God scatters. And he says, I still remember what Jehu did. I had anointed him to take care of the household of Ahab, and he did. As a matter of fact, he rode through town one day, one of his better days, and looked up in a window and saw Jezebel. And instead of running like Elijah, he said, throw her down. And they tossed her out the window And she hit the ground, and the horses trampled her. And when they went back to bury her, they realized there was nothing left but a skull because the dogs had eaten her flesh. And it was prophesied that that's exactly what would happen. But Jehu, now the new appointed king, he was 
a little out of hand. He killed Ahab and Jezebel's son. He took him off the throne. He became the king of the northern kingdom. But then he went south, and he killed the king of the southern kingdom as well. And then he killed 70-something of his family members, and he went on to butcher so many people. He had a lust for blood, and he massacred them in the valley of Jezreel. He says, name your first son Jezreel. Because he said, I intend to bring down the house of Jehu. And he said, it will also be in that valley that Israel will fall to the Assyrians and the northern kingdom will be no more. My goodness. The second child that was born to them was a daughter, Lo Ruhamah. Lo is a word in the Hebrew that always means not. So we, we know we've got something here that's not going to be. Uh, Lo Ruhamah means compassion. No compassion. God said in chapter 1, verse 6, in the book of, Nehemiah, uh, a book of Hosea, says, I will know, name her Lu Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. And then she has another son, the third child, and the Lord said, name him Lo-Hami, because Lo-Hami means not my people. He says, name that child. So when you preach, Hosea, it will be something that you bring from your heart. You will remember your very children's name, that I have had it with Israel, and they are no longer my people. And it was a constant cycle like this, that there would be repentance, and then there'd be redemption, and then there would be restoration. And it is a cycle that I see kind of borne out in a lot of people's lives nowadays. It's like you get you, you fail God, and, and you ask for forgiveness, and, and I, I'm not sure where the transformation takes place or some measure of restoration, but it is like living in a cycle. It's a treadmill of spirituality that just never seems to get anywhere. And I think that's why we need so desperately to understand chapter 14. Because finally when it's all said and done, and the tribes in the north are going into captivity, and they will be no more, but God says the day will come when I will restore my people I will revive the dead. And we find that in chapter 14. So much else we could say, but let's look at why we need revival. We need revival because we need an outpouring, first of all, of his forgiveness. Verse 2, take with you words and return to the Lord. We don't like talking about our sins. He says, talk about them. Talk about them. Say it. Speak it. Say to him, take away all iniquity. He didn't say, come to me with excuses and come to me telling me that, well, you know, I've had a lot on me or I was under stress when I did whatever it was that I did or I was really mixed up. He says, no, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. We want to be able to praise you, God. We want to be able to praise you, but says, we can't. If you go back to verse 1, I'll pick up one word from there. For you have stumbled, he says to them, 
because of your iniquity. So let's start with forgiveness. Don't blame others. Don't blame circumstances. Don't don't blame everything else around you. He says it is your iniquity, and it is iniquity. It's not your misfortune. It is not your circumstances, but your choices to do what is wrong. And when we are really wanting and desiring forgiveness, we cut through all the fluff. We get down to it and just come to God with words. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word for confess is homolego in, in the Greek. And homolego means to say the same word. When we begin to call our sins what God calls our sins, then we're confessing them. God's tired of the, uh, the, the little excuses we make or the way we try to put lipstick on the pig when we come before God. We just need to come to God honestly and say, God, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. I need, desperately, God, I need forgiveness. Some have spent their whole life looking for a new church. They've not even caught on to it yet. I, I, I know some people. Some are older than me, and they still haven't found the right church yet. And others spend their life looking for the right spouse. And, and it's, it's amazing to me. I, I don't know how uh, I got so lucky first time around. Man, I hit the jackpot. She, she pray for her. She's kind of down in her back. And... Um, she gets nervous when I talk to her about how things on the farm would get down and what we had to do sometime. But pray for her that she gets better. But I know people that they haven't figured it out yet. They are still looking for the right spouse. They're looking for the right group of friends. It, 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 they're always looking for something. They've never figured out that there is a problem not with all that's going on out there. There is a problem in here. And the problem is not that everybody else out here needs to get right with God. The problem is I need to get right with God. Nowadays, we don't talk much about sin, the new version of God that we see on social media and we see on television and places like that. Is He is the Savior of the downtrodden. He's the Savior of the broken. He's the Savior of the mistreated. He is. He is the Savior, and He forgives sin, but He also forgives the mistreaters, too. We need some salvation and forgiveness. The ones who broke the people down and the ones who were doing the trotting of the the downtrodden, the ones who committed those kinds of sins. We don't like to talk about those ugly sins. We want Jesus to be more of a a social rebel and, and, and try to make us all feel good about ourselves. But I can tell you, man, I'm one of those. I need forgiveness for my sinfulness. There's a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook. I send him a little note now and then. He doesn't live anywhere around here. I can't tell you how guilty I feel because I used to pick on him in high school all the time. I joined in the bandwagon. I was as big an idiot as anybody else there. And I used to pick on him because he was fat. I'm just going to leave that one right there. I knew you'd laugh, so you need forgiveness now. 
Man, it breaks my heart. Yeah, sometimes I've had misfortune. Sometimes I've had difficulties. Sometimes things happen that I don't understand, but I can tell you, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. I'm a big, fat sinner. Our sins need to be forgiven. We desperately need it. We also need an outpouring not only of his forgiveness, but his favor. In verse 4, he says, I will heal their apostasy. They're falling away. They were where they needed to be, but they fell away. And he says, I will love them freely. Loving us is one thing, but loving us freely? Loving us freely without having to go into, well, I'm going to love you, but, you know, I'm going to expect uh, you to turn out a little better this time. Or I expect you to act like you got some sense that's go around. No, he says, I want to love them freely. I want to love them in a way where nothing stands in the way of me loving them. For my anger has turned away from them. He says, it's too late for the northern tribes. But he says, the day will come when I will forgive my people. And notice he says, I will heal their apostasy. That's the key to all of it. Sometimes asking for forgiveness is like sin management. You remember I, I, I told you a great example of this was I grew up in a very traditional church, and, um, and, and I, I see that Glenn's here today. I think that's him sitting back there. And... Uh, <laughs> So he probably has known me long enough. He probably heard me preach a few sermons like this. So just keep it to yourself, son. But I remember, man, when we would have communion and the preacher would do it every time. Oh, don't you drink of this cup unworthily. And I'd start staring at that cup way before it got to me. I'd think, oh, Lord, forgive me of my sin and uh, make sure I, 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 well, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I was, it was like I was about to drink arsenic, and I just knew I'm going to kill over dead as a hammer. And he, the preachers would, would make us all feel that way. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's called a sin management program where you do bad things and you feel guilty about it, but you don't ever really change. You know, one of the things I heard a doctor say one time that helped me understand what healing is really like. He told me, he says, medication is just so you can stay like you are and stay alive. He said, it doesn't heal you. It just keeps you from having to be healed. <laughs> that hurt. I asked him if he had some pain meds after that. Healing sets us free. Sometimes... We medicate ourselves with our favorite little prayers and verses, and we try to make ourselves feel better about staying just exactly the way we are. Our behavior, if it's medicine, medical issues, sometimes our behavior doesn't change. So the doctor loads us up, and, and it's not their fault. I'm not blaming them, but they'll load us up with medication so we can remain alive but never change. 
we could change our lives, we could throw half the medicine out of the cabinet, but it's the same way with our sin. What we really need is, is, is not for God to give us a, a thumbs up or say, ah, oh, you're okay, or I'm glad you asked for forgiveness. What we need is for God to heal us. But we have to realize we're sick first before He can do any of that. He said, take with you words. Talk about your sins. You know, I have lots of people who come to me for counseling, and I rarely know exactly what to say, but I pray really hard about it. It's one of the toughest parts of my job because I'm, I'm really not a very good counselor, I'll just tell you that. But, but, but one of the things that I have learned over the years, most people who come to me come to talk about circumstances. They rarely ever come to talk about their choices. You won't believe what I'm living in, preacher. You won't believe what they did to me at work. You won't believe what that husband of mine's done now. Or you won't believe that wife I married. I am telling you, it's circumstances. It's hard times. I've had very few who come and said, Pastor, I don't deserve your time or God's because I make some of the dumbest decisions in the world. I had a guy tell me this morning in my office, and I won't even tell you who he is, but he said, I'm just an idiot. I said, hallelujah. Praise God, you're an idiot. Sometimes that's what we need to say. God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Forgiveness, we need his favor. Thirdly, we need his faithfulness. Verse 3, they said, Assyria... He says, you need to shout it out that Assyria will not save us. Assyria was a foreign power, and they, would, they, they ruled the world, basically. But then they would fall to the powerful Babylonians, who would fall to the Persians, who would fall to the Greeks, who would fall to the Romans, who would fall to the rest of the world. They would all fall. But down in the south, if you remember, Isaiah is down there preaching while Hosea is up north preaching. And he's trying to get the king down there not to invite the Assyrians in to help him with a civil war that's going on between him and the ten tribes in the north. Isaiah says, don't invite the Assyrians in. Because he says, when you invite the Assyrians in, they will come, but they won't leave. He says, you know the great river Euphrates? He said, you know how it overflows its banks? He said, they'll do the same thing in the streets of Jerusalem if you invite them here. But King Ahaz was weak and fearful. I know we've looked at that before, but what a lesson. So many times we see people that instead of trusting in God, they put their trust in something else, and then the thing that they put their trust in to get them through the day winds up being their problem. The thing they took to take the edge off winds up being the edge. The thing they took a few sips of just to kind of calm their nerves is something now that they can't quit sipping. And, and they finally realizing now maybe, but too late for some, that I'm not just drinking out of this bottle. This bottle is drinking out of me. 
It's emptying me and it's ruining my life. But so many people in our world today, we have addictions of, of drugs that are, it's just incredible. But it's people who are inviting things into their life to help them with small problems. And the thing they invited winds up being a big problem. Big problem. Well, he says, we will no longer say our God to the work of our hands. It's not us that's going to help us either, God. You know, I, I, I am amazed. I see the squalor in our big cities and small cities as well, meth heads, crackheads, all of that trashy existence. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I, I'm trying to make a point. I want to tell you the reason I'm not there hanging out with them, sleeping on the street is not because I was so smart. It's not because, boy, I just knew better. I was taught better, but I was taught better on a lot of issues I made dumb decisions about. I can tell you why I'm not there. I am not there because of the grace of God. I cannot say it's because of the work of my hands. You know, I've always been one, I shunned that stuff. I was smart enough to say, no, I got me a job and went to work. I'm responsible. You know, you, we can just feel so blooming good about ourselves sometimes, can we not? I can tell you the only thing that stands between us and squalor is the grace of God, friend. We better not forget that. We better not forget that. Assyria can't save us. America can't save us. Man. I don't even want to go down that road because I wouldn't know where to start. But just look at the condition of our country. The most powerful nation on earth. Now you don't have to go back more than about a week. And we went from letting China fly balloons all the way across the country to we declared war with F-16s on Hobby Lobby. I don't think I would put my trust in that. I love our country. I think it's a great nation. But boy, we have turned our backs on God. And we will continue to pay the price for that. Forgiveness, favor, faithfulness. We also need his fruit. In verse 4, he says, because from me, or verse 8, I'm sorry, from me comes your fruit, and his beauty will be like the olive tree. He says, from me comes your fruit. I think that's, that's a powerful thing. If we're ever going to have anything good come forth from our lives, it won't be because of our talents or abilities or our special giftedness. It will be because God bears that fruit within us. As a matter of fact, I remind you again that Galatians 5 teaches us about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my gifts, it's not mine, and it's not plural. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it manifests itself in nine different ways. So I can't say, well, I have love, but I don't have patience. No, it's love, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those, all nine facets of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that, that, that I need manifested in my life. But the good news for me is it's not me doing it. 
It's not how well I am in any of those areas. It is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit lives within me, even a sot like me, boy, there can be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. We're still working on self-control. You know, one of the biggest reasons, though, I have trouble with any of them is because sometimes I get to thinking I'm the one that's got to come up with them. I'm the dirt. He plants the Spirit, and He brings forth the fruit. It's His fruit. It's not mine. He says, your beauty will be like the olive tree. Boy, olive trees are incredible. The beauty of them is found, though, in all of the things that we get from them. They're not tall trees. They're not like redwoods. But, boy, they have a tenacity and ability to feed and fuel and do so many things. As a matter of fact, we don't know for sure, but we think there's a good possibility. If you've ever been to Gethsemane, and I have, some of you have, that the olive trees that you see standing there now, some of them were standing there when Jesus prayed. We've found some we know for sure that are 1,200 years old. We think some are much older. That's a beautiful tree. It provides so much. That's what God wants to be like. And then last of all, we need His forgiveness, His favor, faithfulness, His fruit. We need His fellowship. We need some nearness time with God. In verse 5, he says, I will be like the dew to Israel. I'll be like the dew. Man, what a lesson. Dew gets all over everything. You, you, you can have an old $500 Oldsmobile, and you can have a $100,000 Lamborghini, and I not even, don't even know what they cost anymore. I hadn't bought one in so long. Dew doesn't care. It'll get on both of them. And it doesn't fall. We say the dew's falling. Dew doesn't fall. Dew forms. When the air gets so gorged with moisture, now I'm, I'm about to be a meteorologist here, so hang on. Look all this stuff up afterwards is what I mean. But when the atmosphere gets so gorged with moisture, it finally begins to settle on things. I am thinking about dew and how it forms. It forms sometimes in the dark of night. That's when we usually see it. That's when it usually comes. God's presence is much like that. Not only does God's presence, when He pours it out, not only does it 
touch everything, but sometimes it is in the dark of night that we notice it most. I prayed for some of you this morning, Brother David. I saw you post. Man, I pray for him. I pray for others of you who have lost loved ones, you who have lost children. I still to this day cannot wrap my mind around it, but I do know this, that if you know God and you put your faith and your trust in him, that he will be like the dew. He will be near to you. He will be with you. And think about this as well. Has a dew ever awakened you in the middle of the night? Honey, roll up that window. Shut the, shut, the, shut the window, shut the whatever, turn the fan on. The dew so loud tonight. It doesn't make any noise at all. You know, sometimes that's how God does. I, I, I know, I've, hey, I've been a part of some services before where, boy, people got, man, excited. And I, I'm not saying there's anything against that. I told you years ago I was raised in a church that the only time we ever raised our hands was to vote no. I, I like it. I like raising my hands and praising the Lord. But I want to tell you something. That excitement and pew jumping and chandelier swinging and all of that does not necessarily mean that's of God. Sometimes God says, I form very quietly. And when I've been there, boy, you can tell. Because I touch everything. I touch everything. Man, I need revival. I really do. I need for God to speak to my heart. I need to know his fellowship. I need to feel a nearness to him right now. I, I, I know that I know that he's God. I know one day he's coming back. I know one day this old world is it's going to be done away with and it'll be no more but man as a father and as a grandfather boy I worry about the world that we're leaving behind for our children sometimes my heart gets so heavy but I need that nearness but I need to start back at the top I need forgiveness I need for God to cleanse my heart and to forgive me. I need for God to make his presence known in my life. I need for him to bear some fruit in my life. Sometimes I, when I am the most stressed, I realize, Mike, you're trying to bear your own fruit, son. You're trying to make it happen yourself, and you just can not do it. God's got to do it through you or it's not going to happen. I need that. Let's bow together. Our Father, I beg you right now, Lord, come and love us freely, Lord. 
I pray right now, God, that you would speak to our weary souls. Some today, Lord, are hurting so deeply. I pray for them. Others of us, God, we're, we're hurting too, but it's our fault. It's not our circumstances, God. It's bad decisions. Lord, it's a failure to allow you to touch our hearts and convict us of things. Some things, Lord, we may have never even thought about as sin. But they're just that. And, and Lord, we're, we're not even recognizing them. We're not even noticing that attitude or that, that sense of pride or that feeling, Lord, that, that makes us feel better than the man lying on his face in the street, God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to recognize those things as sin. Help us, Lord, to be able to lift up praises to you. But, God, you're going to have to heal us first, Lord. You're going to have to help us to do more, God, than just medicate something. You're going to have to help us, Father, to, to heal and to get well. I pray, Father, you would do that today. Thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do. Thank you for your word, God, where you teach us, Lord. There does come a time you pour out your wrath. You judge sin for what it is. But we also thank you for your grace, God. Don't let us take it for granted. Love us freely, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.